Would you please turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1? And this evening, I'd like for us to look at Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. As you turn there, I admittedly so, I am having an identity crisis. So much so that you have no idea I grew up by the name Nate. So we're finding out who I am together. Either way, we know who God is, we know his word is sure, and we're going to turn to it now. Uh, Please read with me in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Paul writes here, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Pray with me. Father, as we turn to your word, we recognize that the strength, the ability to understand it to perceive it rightly, and even to walk in light of its truth can only come from you. And so even in this time, I ask that you would supply us with what we need so that from these words here from the Apostle Paul, we might be devoted to you, even in our sufferings and afflictions, that we would give ourselves to Christ, recognizing his power is at work in us because Christ is in us. Thank you for this hope of glory that never fades. May we always make much of Christ and so much less of ourselves. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I titled this sermon, No Pain, No Gain, I had something in mind. I was walking in just before evening service started and I saw some of my high schoolers doing push-ups And so maybe I miscommunicated. This will not be about exercise or working out. It's about what those words are supposed to mean and entail. And so we won't be doing jumping jacks or more push-ups. Instead, it's the reality that in ministry, life can become very difficult. In fact, good ministry is hard ministry. And this evening, as we turn to these words here from Paul... We're hearing about the difficulties of ministry from someone who is well acquainted with them. Someone who understands the difficulties, the ups and downs of ministry. We find that for ourselves in the life of Paul. Perhaps you can turn, you could go to Acts 20 to see that. In Acts 20, verse 22 to 23, Paul says, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Look at all he knows about ministry in verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What a call to ministry. 
You don't know exactly what the work will look like, but you know that when you get there, it'll be difficult. This was Paul's life. Not only did he know he was destined to suffer in ministry and to endure hardships, Paul dealt with various kinds. He was beaten for the gospel. Acts 21, 30 to 31, he was seized, dragged out of the temple. Uh, Many were trying to kill him and they were beating him in the process. Many threats came upon Paul during his time in ministry. Acts 22, 22, crowds shouting, rid him of the earth. He's not fit to live. Paul was arrested numerous times and imprisoned. The letter that we read before us here is written from a prison cell. Paul was mocked endlessly for the gospel. Read Acts 26 and you'll find some there. Paul endured shipwreck for the sake of the gospel. Acts 27, Paul was bitten by a venomous snake for the gospel. Acts 28. Paul decides to give us a retelling of his difficulties in ministry by outlining them in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24. Imagine this being the description of your ministry. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I not burn inwardly? Ministry was a hard work for Paul. And ministry will be a hard work for anyone called to the glorious grace of the gospel. It isn't meant to be easy. And Paul understood that. And what's more, we can also read, Paul knows as well what is necessary to endure that kind of ministry. And it's why we find in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, all of us have been called to ministry because we've been called into grace. If we have been saved by the Lord Jesus We are fit to be useful for Jesus. The grace that Jesus supplies to save us is the same grace that Jesus will supply to sustain us in the hard work of ministry. The question then becomes, how do we see that work itself out in us? 
How do we know that as we've been saved by grace, we too are the kind of people that serve by grace? What was unique or distinct about Paul's life that can inform us, help us understand how it is that grace should operate in our lives to endure in ministry like he did? That question leads us to our text this evening. And though Paul's calling is unique because, of course, he was called to be an apostle, his role in the church was one that was distinct from you and I, the same person that was called here, Paul, he's called to be a minister, a servant. And that's a name, that's a a title that each and every single one of us in this room can claim if we know Jesus. We are merely servants. And so the same grace supplied to Paul must be the grace supplied to us The question now becomes, what does that look like and how do we know that it's at work in us? Where Christ is, hard times often follow. And we'll see that the pains that often come from serving Christ are the means by which we are made to be most useful and faithful. Your afflictions might not be the same as Paul, and that's okay. Yours are unique to you. Perhaps it's the difficulty when you go to work and you talk about your faith with people that don't know Jesus. Maybe it's sitting around a dinner table with family members who do not care for your religion or your faith or the person that you believe in. Maybe it's walking around in this world and seeing that the world is caved into all the plans of Satan while you are trying to live up to who Christ in is and walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Maybe it's serving here in this church. Maybe you don't feel that you've gotten the affirmation or appreciation that you deserve for the work that you do. Maybe you just served in VBS and like me who didn't get to help and that got kicked in the shins 14 times. Ministry is hard. And for whatever reason you might understand that to be true, I want us all to come to terms with how we can know that the grace of God that has saved us also sustains us in that hard work. Whatever it might be that causes difficulty as you seek to serve and honor Christ, I want us to turn to this text and see how we are to endure and how the grace of God supplies us what we need. In this text, we'll see five ways that we are being fitted for gospel ministry. Five ways that Christ is graciously working in us so that we might labor unto him. Number one from this text, I want you to see we are being fit for suffering. We are being fit for suffering. To serve Christ and to be a minister of his gospel is to be someone who is fitted for suffering. Look here at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. As I mentioned before, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae from a prison cell. And so the present suffering that Paul is describing is likely this. He is currently imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. 
And yet Paul has been prepared for this kind of moment and Paul continues in ministry even from a prison cell because amidst that suffering, he can rejoice. Grace in ministry that fuels us to continue is the kind of grace that inspires joy amidst hardship. Perhaps you've read it in James chapter one. We count it all joy when we're faced with various kinds of trial. Why? Because those trials produce in us a faith that is unshakable, immovable, a faith that is constant and steadfast. It proves to us that we belong to him when we endure hardship. And so Paul has been fitted for sufferings, and in them he rejoices. But how is that possible? That's so contrary to the way that we think, isn't it? How can someone rejoice in the face of sufferings? Well, in ministry, all suffering must be removed from self, and all suffering must be thought of as worth it because it is vicarious. It is not a suffering done unto me. It is a suffering that is beneficial. And there's two reasons that Paul gives here to understand that truth. Number one, when we suffer in the ministry, we suffer for the sake of others. Look at how he writes it here. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Suffering in ministry is worth it because it has far less to do with my comfortability and far more to do with the growth of the individuals next to me. Whatever I endure for the sake of Jesus is worth it because though it might pain me, it also might grow someone else. If I were only to look inwardly when I suffer, I'd be missing the point. My suffering for the sake of Christ is worth it because of my brother and my sister. That causes us to understand the suffering that fits us for ministry differently. No longer to concern ourselves simply with the discomfort and the discouragement that might occur as we seek to make Christ known in the world and in his church, but instead to be concerned with how those present sufferings might be of blessing to those around us. Paul's motivation to endure in ministry, it isn't optimism, it isn't wishful thinking, it isn't that things will get better, it isn't the power of positivity. Paul's endurance in suffering is tied to the growth and maturity of the church. Friends, if we suffer, let it come. If we are to endure hardship for the sake of Jesus, may it come so that the church might grow to know and love Jesus. Why does that matter for us? Well, because secondly here, Paul does not just rejoice in suffering for the sake of his brothers and sisters. Paul rejoices in his suffering because it reminds him of his savior. Here we find in interesting phrase that has made many stumbles over its meaning. He writes, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And every person who's been at grace for a long time and loves the Lord Jesus says, what could possibly be lacking in Christ? 
That seems to be so contradictory to what we know Paul to believe, declare, proclaim. How can he say that anything lacks in Jesus? Well, we know very clearly, even through the message of Colossians, Paul does not mean that in Christ there is anything lacking in his atoning work or in the justifying work that he's done for us on the cross. Just a few verses before, verse 21 And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Finished. Christ himself said that for us. On the cross, he cried out, it is finished. No more work for Christ to do. Instead, what Paul is talking about here is that when he suffers for the sake of Jesus... He partakes in what is still the world's desire for our Savior. The one that verse 18 says is the head of the body of the church. That's who the world's vitriol and hate and animosity is towards. And Paul is saying is if the world desires to reach at the head, they can't anymore. He's ascended into heaven. They can't do anything else to him. And so, let them abuse the body. We'll take it. There is no lack in Jesus, but we'll gladly share in his sufferings. What the world desires is to pile on its hate toward Christ. And we, like those who love him and know him, ought to know that if they hated him, they will hate us also. And so the wounds that they would seek to inflict on him instead come upon us. Paul sees that as a joy. And it's no surprise why. What blows, what hurts, what wounds did Jesus not receive for us that we in turn cannot receive from the world for him? Friends, Paul endured any suffering that came at the cost of knowing Christ because he knew the one who suffered for him. I pray that that would be true of you as well. I pray that in Jesus you would understand he is worth suffering for because before all things he suffered for you. If anyone is to be a servant who suffers well for Jesus, he is to be one who understands the suffering servant who came and died in their place. It is a grace-fueled kind of ministry that Paul is talking about here. Because Jesus suffered and died in our place. We endure the sufferings of the world because Christ endured them for us. And Christ gave up his body for us. Christ endured them to the point of death on a cross, what would we not do for him? Let the world clamor. Let the world ridicule you. Let them mock you. Let them cast you out. Let them shun you if that's what they desire. You be like Jesus. We are fit for this kind of suffering. The church is a bring your own cross kind of ministry. And if we are to serve the Lord faithfully, we are to endure whatever it costs in his name. 
Don't claim to love God's service if you're unwilling to receive the suffering that comes with it. We are fit for suffering. Secondly, Paul shows us here, we are also fit for serving. We're fit for serving. God's people will suffer in this world. And yet they've also been fit to serve the Lord Jesus well. Paul writes it here this way. I rejoice in my sufferings for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister. There we find that word that we described earlier. It's a servant. It's a, it's a busboy. It's a table waiter. It's someone who has a very lowly job. If you're into the movie Ratatouille, which involves rats cooking your food, then you would remember this is Linguini, who isn't a pasta. He's a busboy. And everyone's confused as to how he can cook because he shouldn't be able to. What's funny in a movie is actually very serious in reality. Each and every single one of us is being fitted to serve the Lord Jesus. And we should marvel at the reality that God could even use us. We aren't deserving of the ministries that we have. You get to preach. Amazing. You get to lead a Bible study, praise the Lord. You get to serve in nursery, wonderful. You get to pick up the donut Sunday morning before your fellowship group. We all praise God for you. And yet none of us is deserving of serving this high king. And so as we think about our call to ministry, as we think about our responsibilities before Jesus, let us be like Paul who marvels that he could even be used. Elsewhere, you know Paul identifies himself as the chief of sinners, the least among the apostles. If Paul could think about himself that way, how should we think about ourselves? It is noteworthy, it is praiseworthy that God would even desire to use us But that is his grace. And so he fits us for service. It isn't about comfort. It's about his glory. It isn't about my will. It's about his will. This should help us in our ministries when we're discouraged and discomfort. To find joy quickly. How quickly we lose our joy in ministry. How quickly we misdiagnose our suffering in ministry because we regard ourselves to be more important than our master. Friends, ministry is all about the one who sends us. Ministry is all about the one who has called us to serve him. And so to endure in Christ's service, we must have a proper self-awareness. I am nothing but a servant. I am nothing but a slave to Christ. I am not deserving of this, but praise God that his grace has called me to it. And to endure in Christ's service, we cannot regard ourselves highly. We must come to the end of ourselves, and we must be prepared whatever the Lord calls us to do. There will be no work too low and no work too high. Whatever it is that Jesus places before us to do, we'll do it because he fits us to serve. That leads us here to point number three. And thirdly, it is this. 
the one who has fitted us for suffering, and the one who has fitted us for serving also has fitted us for stewardship. He's fitted us for stewardship. Uh, Paul became a minister not because he wanted to. I can promise you that because if you go back into the book of Acts, Paul was on his way to kill a bunch of Christians before God stopped him. Paul's desire was to stamp out the church before Jesus showed up and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is stopped in his tracks, not desiring to be a minister, but called to be one, changed by grace to be one, according to the stewardship from God, as verse 25 says, that which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. A proper self-awareness in ministry comes from a proper awareness of who God is. If you want to know where you fit in, figure out who God is and recognize that in him every service is worthy. If you want to recognize who how you fit in, recognize that anything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus has value because it is a part of the stewardship that God has left for his people. Now, Paul here has a very distinct stewardship. He is called to be an apostle. He is called to be a preacher. And he knows this. He recognizes this. And so we know that Paul's ministry is distinct, and yet Paul continues to discuss this in general terms as an encouragement to us. Wherever it is that the Lord has you serving, it is a part of his stewardship for his kingdom. And you don't get to make up the rules as to how that goes. You don't get to determine how you want to do that. You have to follow the orders of the one who left the work. That's Jesus. Here, Paul gives us a part of what that stewardship looks like. In fact, perhaps we can say the most important part of that stewardship. This was unique to Paul in the role of his ministry, but it is important for all of us as we seek to honor God in our service. We are fitted for stewardship. This work that comes to us from God, and what is that work? To make the word of God fully known. Friends, if you're a minister of the gospel, which all of us are, we have raised that term to be of a higher status than it needs to be. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus, then your prerogative is to make the word of God fully known. It is debated whether this means to preach. It's debated whether it means to exposit God's word. It's debated whether or not it means that what you're supposed to do is not only declare God's word, but also live out its truth. It's debated if in making the word of God fully known, there is a a formal way of doing so or an informal way of doing so. It's all of those things and more. It is bringing the full counsel of God to bear, not only in intellect, but in the way that we live It is watching as the active word of God takes root in hearts and changes them. That by the power of God's preaching through his word, but also that in the way that the word is at work in us. It is all of these things 
And it's a role that all of us should take seriously and all of us should commit to. It is a work that is dependent on how much you know God's word and how in-depth you get with it. I remember when I was in college, I was a part of Campus Crusade, and it was an on-campus organization, and, and through it, we did a lot of ministry. And one of those was that one uh, spring, I decided to, uh, during our spring break, go on one of our, our missions trips to Panama, Panama City Beach in Florida. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> and there we go. Uh, I, I'd never been before, but I understood it was one of the number one, like the number one place in the world to go during spring break, and I found out really quickly why, and out we went to declare the gospel to people who were, let's just say, having a good time. And I remember being there and ministering the gospel and declaring the truth of God to people and evangelizing and wanting to win people to Christ. And we'd go back and we had a conference center where when we would go after every day of evangelizing, it would come up on the screen that today we had 2,000 gospel conversations. And there were 450 decisions made for Jesus. And there were 300 people who would think about it. And all these numbers, and yet no understanding of what happened thereafter. We would go with this word of God, we would tell them about the good news of Jesus, and we had no idea what happened to any of these people. Now God is such a gracious God that I'm sure that through that kind of ministry, some have truly come to know Jesus and hopefully are living for him. But the kind of ministry that makes the word of God fully known requires that you commit day out, day in and day out with God's people to be there with them. I'm excited because in a, a little more than a month, we'll get an opportunity in high school ministry to go out to Camp Regen. And it's one week in our ministry that's awesome. I mean, we play games until we're tired and all of us uh, staff and pastor alike, we come back broken and bruised and the kids come back seemingly with more energy. And yet the thing that I love the most about Camp Region is that we get to come back for 51 more weeks of ministry so that we can ensure we are making the word of God fully known. That's what the stewardship is. It is to ensure that you supply people with a depth of who God is and you allow him to take control of whatever results and outcomes will come from it. Here's the beauty of that stewardship, verse 26. It's a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations and is now revealed to his saints. It's one that has chosen to now bring Gentiles and Jews together to see the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a necessary mystery to be revealed. It's not an unsolvable riddle. This mystery is one that has been hidden from eternity past and now has been revealed to God's people. In Christ, this mystery that God has held back from people is now known. And the mystery is this, Christ in you. Friends, you want a reason to endure in ministry? You're not doing the work. Christ in you. 
There might be pressure from the outside to cave in. People might mock you. People might not like you. People might not appreciate you the way you think you should be. People might not affirm you the way you think you should be. You know how you withstand all of that? Less of you and more of Christ in you. What a great stewardship we have, not only to live in light of that truth, but to bring others in to that precious reality. And it doesn't even end there. Christ in you brings about more blessing because Christ in you assures you of a future glory. How can I be sure that I'll be with Jesus forever? Jesus is in me now. What an awesome stewardship we have. And we are fitted for this kind of ministry. When we commit to God's word, we commit to his ways, we commit to his means of ministry, and we trust him to do the work. Not only here are we fitted for this stewardship. Number four, I'd like you to see we are fitted for speaking. We are fit for speaking. The beauty of the ministry that we have before us with all its challenges and difficulties is that the work is kind of simple. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim. If you want a message to tell the world, tell them Jesus. If you want a message for your discouraged, believing friend, tell them Jesus. If you want a message for someone in troubled times, tell them Jesus. If you want a message when the world is filled with chaos and turmoil, tell them Jesus. We are fit to speak, and that to speak much of Christ. That is the loftiest of subjects. This is the noblest of doctrines. Jesus Christ. George Whitfield once said, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. Friends, all of us can share that sentiment. Many might say it differently. Many might say it better. But if it's Jesus, it doesn't get better. That's our ministry. You want to endure in ministry? You want to face the onslaught that will come for Jesus' name? Declare him. Paul doesn't stop there. He actually shows us what that would look like. It's warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I love that because in that there's so much to unpack and I know we're running out of time. But here we have two distinct ways in which we proclaim Christ. Number one, we warn everyone. Uh, This means a, a more confrontational side of ministry, which on the fence of ministry, if we were to put admonishing on one side and teaching on the other, you probably fall one way or another. This is a call for us to live up to the holy standard that God has given us, not to grow slack with one another, but to encourage one another as the day draws near. We warn everyone. Not only so, but we teach everyone. It is a more positive side of this proclaiming method It is the imparting of God's truth, the building up of one another, 
the encouragement of one another, the teaching of God's commands and his rules and his precepts, and all of this to be done in all wisdom. I love that. Because if you love confrontation, I hope you do it in wisdom. And if you don't love confrontation, you just like to teach and teach and teach, I hope you do it in wisdom. God has called us to both. And this so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, the goal of our being a mouthpiece is not just that we get to speak. It is to see lives transformed. It is to see people grown up and maturing in Christ. It is why in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, we see that God has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In other words, all kinds of ministers. To what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you want another reason to endure in ministry, as difficult as it may get, think about the levels of maturity we haven't reached yet. I would say and dare say that in this room, all of us have some growing up to do. So no matter how difficult ministry might be, let's go back to work. Let's make much of Jesus. Let us be committed to warning one another, teaching one another, and helping one another mature until that day in which God will make us perfect. Fifthly here, we are fit for struggling. Fifthly and finally, we are fit for struggling. This is a tall task. This is a lot of work. And seemingly it comes with a lot of discomfort, a lot of discouragement, a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship. How are we to continue in this kind of work? Paul writes in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I toil, I labor. Paul says, I give myself back to the work. And not just in any way, not just flippantly, but struggling. It's where we get the word agony from. It's a word used oftentimes in athletic settings to describe the way that athletes train. It reminds me of Kobe Bryant, the Mamba. You might not remember this because the Kobe Bryant you know is a champion, a winner all-time leading scorer, all-time NBA guru, just the best. And that's because we're in L.A. I'm from Philly. So my guy was Allen Iverson. Kobe would tell you the greatest fit he ever had on a basketball court was guarding Allen Iverson. So much so that one night in November 1999, Allen Iverson scored 40 points on him Kobe Bryant went back to his hotel room, threw the TV on the ground, threw the bed over the window. I mean, he went ballistic. And he wanted to know how it was that he was going to stop this man. So he watched all his high school tapes, all his college tape, all his NBA tape. He studied his strengths and his weaknesses. Do you also know that he studied how great white sharks hunt for seals in the ocean? 
because he was agonizing over how to beat his competitor. Friends, we need that kind of dedication, not for a game, but for ministry. It should agonize you to serve the Lord Jesus. It should be laborious. It should, it should call you to exert a particular kind of energy that maybe you even think you don't have. Good, you got it. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy is not what it says. With all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Friends, if we are to be the kind of people that will serve Christ faithfully, no matter what comes our way, discouragement or persecution, mockery and laughter, suffering and pain, for the sake of Jesus, it's worth it. Why? Because he doesn't leave us to the work on our own. And when we have run dry, we can attest to this reality. It's his energy at work in me. The beauty of serving Christ is that his grace sustains us to do a work we otherwise could not do on our own. Don't give up, fellow Christian, because the work doesn't ride on you. It depends on him. The key to enduring in ministry to not burning out, is to recognize who is doing the work. One man who suffered much in ministry, we've read here of the apostle Paul's experience, but Charles Spurgeon was a man who ministered for a long time and endured many hardships for the sake of his ministry. Many did not like him in his day. Many thought that he was causing all kinds of division in the church because he was proclaiming the truth of the scriptures. Uh, People tried to uh, slander him and gossip about him. It was stuff that went out in the newspaper and in open media throughout his day rampantly. People constantly attacking this man for the work that he did for Christ. And Spurgeon is even said, because of all this, to have struggled with heavy bouts of depression and anxiety. He writes to his students and says these words that I think will bring this to a close and help us understand what we are to do with this. He writes, gentlemen, there are many passages of scripture which you will never understand thoroughly until some trying or singular experience shall interpret them to you. The other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work. I felt very wearied and sore depressed when swiftly and suddenly the text came to me. My grace is sufficient for thee. I reached home and looked it up in the original, and at last it came to me in this way. My grace is sufficient for thee. And I said, I should think it is, Lord. And I burst out laughing. I never fully understood what the holy laughter of Abraham was until then. It seemed to make unbelief absurd. Oh, brethren, be great believers. Little faith will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your souls. Friends, ministry is hard. Ministry will be difficult. Serving Christ will bring all kinds of discomfort. 
And yet, as we trust in Jesus, we find that heaven reaches for our souls and resides in us, doing a work we could never do ourselves. I pray that as you seek to serve the Lord, be it in your community, your home, or even in this church, you would depend fully in Jesus. For if it is not him, we're doing nothing. But if it is him, it'll all be worth it. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I pray that even as we seek to be more diligent in our service of you, not an ounce of effort would be done apart from your grace and your power. We need so far less of ourselves in this church and so much more of Jesus. And so I pray that each and every one of us would depend on you to do a work through us and in us that would bring you glory and that would bring great blessing to your church. This is how you desire it to be, so be it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.